This is Other Voices. We're listening to varied views from local people who might otherwise not be heard. I'm Melissa Hale Spencer, editor of the Altamont Enterprise, which focuses on Albany County, New York. I'm talking to Edna Linton, a committed environmentalist who lives in Altamont. She and her husband were early installers of solar panels at their home and are avid composters for their garden. They eat little meat and drive an electric car. After taking a course from Judith Enk on the problems with plastic, Linton is now part of a group working to defeat the October 7th Gilderland School bond issue because it includes a synthetic turf field. While athletes, coaches, and sports boosters see the new field as a necessity, Linton's group points to both environmental and health and safety issues with synthetic turf. Tell us, in a nutshell, what is the topic that has gotten you so fired up, Edna? Oh, the thing that has gotten me so fired up is Ulrich's plan to put in a synthetic turf field at the high school. And synthetic turf is what the manufacturers call it, what the people who buy it call it. Judith Enk of the organization Beyond Plastics says it should really be called plastic grass because that's what it is. And and I I it just I've I'd heard some things about it through the organization. I've done considerable reading since I found out that this is possibly going on in our school district. In fact, it will go on unless the upcoming bond issue is defeated. I was the day after I found out about it, I was speaking to my daughter who lives in Alexandria, Virginia. And she said, oh, that stuff is terrible. She said, kids get horrible scrapes and burns on. Which I read about the burns. I hadn't read about the scrapes. It's much more abrasive than grass. So just to give our listeners a little background so they understand about the bond vote, it includes all kinds of things besides the plastic grass, as you call it, or synthetic right. turf, as the school board's <laughs> been calling it. Um, it's a $21.8 million bond issue. People will go to the polls on October 7th, and um, the part that is for the plastic grass or synthetic turf is $2.5 million of this larger plan. And I know when I talked to you yesterday, you said you'd never voted against a bond issue for the school, that you're a big school supporter, but that this is just so important to you. And I'd like to, you mentioned Judith Enk, and I just think in case our listeners aren't familiar with her, it'd be good for you to talk a little bit about her. They might be familiar with her name because back when she was the Region 2 Administrator for the EPA, the Federal Environmental Protection Agency, we of course referred to her a lot, and now she's at Bennington College. So just tell us about your intersection with her. Um, Well, I knew that she was um, the regional administrator under President Obama and that she resigned when President Trump came in. And she had decided that she really wanted to do something about um, dealing with the global warming issue. And plastics does overlap with that. And I heard her speak at the Bethlehem Middle School a couple of years ago and was quite impressed with her talk about plastics. 
And in fact, right on the spot, I gave her a donation for the organization she had started called Beyond Plastics. And then I was getting emails from them and she was giving a course called Beyond Plastic Pollution at Bennington College, which sounded really interesting, but there was no way I was getting from Altamont to Bennington to take this course. And one of the gifts we got from COVID is that they started offering the plastic pollution course online that you could take it on Zoom. And actually that worked out so well with people from all over the country being in the session I took. There were people from California, Washington State, Florida, Georgia, and every place in between. And there were even some people from Europe. And um, yeah, so this is going to be given online, I think, permanently because it worked so well. And <laughs> Judith is quite an inspiration. And at the last meeting of the class, she said, well, now you know all this stuff. It's time for you to go out and do something. <laughs> and people were encouraged to form alumni groups. And it was through the local alumni group that I'm in that I found out about this issue with the synthetic turf coming up. And I was appalled that it was not a separate bond issue. I would so dearly be able, love to be able to vote against the synthetic turf and for all the building updates and things. But this is something, it's, and the number of things that are wrong with synthetic turf is just appalling. And one of which is, I mean, well, this is in the budget with capital improvement. And the figures I've seen most commonly are eight to 10 years. Sometimes the uh, manufacturers claim 10 to 20 years. I think the one that they're getting claims 15 years. After that time, it has to be torn up and hauled away. And because the infill, which is what holds these plastic grass blades up, is made out of um, chopped up automobile tires. It really is not welcome in landfills and where this stuff goes is a nasty business. And it's expensive to dispose of it and then it has to be laid down again. And then after some number of years again, and so it makes this just ever growing pile of non-recyclable huge plastic garbage. Non-recyclable, a lot of plastics are theoretically recyclable, but it generally doesn't happen. And there is exactly one facility in the world that is trying to effectively recycle synthetic turf, and that's in Denmark. So, you know, it's not going to happen here. So what happens to it? It just piles up? Oh, yeah, there are piles of this thing that can be seen from space. and it, But it piles up, but of course it doesn't just stay there. It degrades, and it can get into the soil and into the water. And actually that happens, some, some of it getting into the soil, the water, and the air happens even while it's in use, that the plastic grass blades start to break down while it's in use and the the crumb rubber infill just sort of, uh, you know, gets off the field some when people walk on it. And when there's a rainstorm, 
instead of absorbing into the ground like rain does on real grass, it runs off carrying with it some of this crumb rubber, which contains toxic substances and microplastic bits of the fake grass and sometimes even whole you know, stems of the fake grass. And that is likely to get into lo local water bodies, which then um, is toxic to organisms in them. And it gets into the soil, it gets into the air, and we don't need more toxic stuff around here. So what are some of the toxic chemicals? What are some of the things that might be leaching into local air, water, well, soil? Oh, uh, there are some heavy metals, including lead and arsenic. And there are also volatile organic compounds called VOCs, which are, are complicated organic molecules. And the name volatile makes it clear that when the weather is hot, some of this just evaporates up and people playing on the field will be inhaling it. I've also read some studies about um, inhaling bits of the crumb rubber waste by people who are laying on these fields. And I've seen um, videos of people playing on artificial turf and you see a little black cloud around their feet. And I was speaking to a neighbor of mine last night and she talked about her daughter was practicing um, soccer on an indoor synthetic turf field this winter. And she would see this little black cloud around her feet. And the stuff, the tinier bits of the, um, of the crumbled up tire are, are really minuscule. And, you know, they will get high enough to be inhaled. And they're so tiny, they can go deep into people's lungs. And that is very bad for you on a whole bunch of counts. And there was a really interesting study I read that was done by the New Jersey Department of Environmental um, Preservation of environmental protection, which is um, which is New Jersey's um, equivalent to our uh, Department of our um, DEC Department of Environmental Conservation, and they wanted to test for volatile compounds from not volatile for the aerosolized compounds from these playing fields, and one of the things that was a nasty surprise was that. They approached schools and offered to do this testing for free. And most of the schools either did not respond or said no. And no was that it might expose them to liability risk if something nasty was found. And the second leading reason for saying no is because it might cause them to have to replace the field, another expense. And what they did in this study previously, um, things coming off of soccer field, of playing fields were just measured by a monitoring device that was sitting there next to the field. And what the New Jersey Department of Environmental Protection did was when they built this little robot that could move around on a playing field and would stir up some of the um, infill itself and had a monitoring device. And they also, trying to get a little more real, 
took a 10-year-old boy and they had the robot going around one end of the playing field. They didn't have any other players. And they had this 10-year-old boy run around on the other end of the field and dribble a soccer ball. And the robot detected many more inhalable particles than the stationary monitoring devices by the field. And the monitoring device on the 10-year-old boy, in some cases, detected hugely more. And one of the things that the report on this um, pointed out is that this was just one kid, but both soccer and football are games where there are 11 people on a team, which means you would have 22 people running around stirring up this dust. And that really has a potential to be horribly unhealthy. And long term, you know, we're talking about when you're talking about high school kids, you're talking about young people, people whose um, whose immune systems haven't fully developed yet. People who are in a stage where they're particularly sub um, subject to hormonal disruption. They're still yeah, they're still maturing in a lot of ways. And also, of course, people who have many, many years of life ahead of them. And one of the. Uh, <laughs> conclusions that I found really dismaying that the researchers from New Jersey said is that at present, the economic disincentives for schools to measure the presence or absence of lead contamination on their playing fields appears to exceed any public concern for children's safety. In other words, the fear of having some expense incurred by finding some toxic substance disturbed the school officials more than the fear of exposing their students. So you're saying they're more worried about the cost of liability or the cost of replacement than they are about their students' health. Yeah. And exposure to lead can cause lifetime damage. And, yeah, I, I found that, you know, and the, the New Jersey Department of Environmental Protection is not a partisan organization. Mm -hmm. I also read a letter from the, um, the Children's Environmental Health Center at Mount Sinai School of Medicine, and they didn't come right out and say that... Um, that this artificial turf is toxic, but they said there is insufficient evidence to say that it is not toxic. And I mean, that's, you know, the in industry has been great on saying, well, you know, they haven't found evidence this is toxic, but you look at the EPA, you look at the sources that have analyzed this, and they don't say it's non-toxic. They all say we don't have enough information. More studies need to be done. And I certainly wouldn't want my children exposed to something like that. I mean, when they were infants, I was very careful that all their toys and art supplies were non-toxic. And, you know, just because they're old enough to be in high school doesn't mean that they should be exposed to toxic substances. Yes, I mean, and there was one of the things, the crowd at the school board meeting that was so enthusiastic about this 
um, just to hear <laughs> that other side of the story, was one of the things they said it would not just be for the athletes competing, but for the gym classes, giving them a longer season and for community use. So you would have younger children as well using this field. You'd have children, you know, who were in um, youth programs uh, like Pop Warner football and, um, you know, younger than the high school age. Yeah. But um, there was also a sense that it, it put athletic teams at Gilderland at a disadvantage um, because the other suburban council schools, um, I believe that David Austin, who's the athletic director at Gilderland, said 10 of the 15 suburban council schools will have turf fields, um, you know, putting his own players in a, in a spot without without the same advantages, but the kinds of things that you're talking about make me think, um, you know, the advantages may go to the students with the grass fields. And I know you sent me um, some work that was done on football players, professional football players, separate from these issues of toxicity that you're talking about. If you could just talk a little about um, the NFL push for grass fields over the synthetic fields. Oh, yeah. And um, and the NFL players are not alone. Most professional football players want to play on real grass. And about a year ago, the president of the NFL Players Association gave a statement. It was, you know, it's September 30th of 2020. He gave a statement citing the league's official injury reports for 2012 to 2018. And it showed that non-contact knee injuries were 32% more likely to happen on synthetic turf than real grass. Foot and ankle injuries were 69% more likely. And that some of these injuries were serious enough to get a player out of the game for the rest of the season. And players also felt this could shorten their careers. And some of this happens because the synthetic turf is not like real grass. If you're pushing down hard and you turn, or you know, turn abruptly on real grass, the grass will tear. If you push down hard and turn abruptly on synthetic turf, something inside you will give way. A ligament or a joint will be damaged. And particularly when you're talking about high school students and even younger children, I think prevention of injury is really important. And while a lot of people, you know, really uh, look up to the high school coaches, it wasn't football and it wasn't soccer. But I have a son who suffered permanent damage to his knees when he was in high school. And this man is very active, very vigorous. He hikes, he bicycles. And he's in his late 40s and he literally cannot run because of injuries he suffered in high school. And I think putting the kids on a surface that increases their risk of injury is gravely irresponsible. We, We don't want them suffering lifetime harm from this. So another point that you had raised, too, beyond the kind of um, toxicity that you had mentioned earlier was 
larger environmental concerns because grass fields, uh, of course, have properties of growing things um, in that, you know, oxygen, the process of oh, yeah. um, cleaning air through, if you just want to talk a little bit about that as well. Oh, sure. Well, with concerns about, you know, global warming, and we, we're aware that, you know, trees, you know, Take, take in carbon dioxide and release oxygen. Well, grass does the same thing. It's a growing plant and it can put carbon into the soil, take it out of the air. And of course, this synthetic turf, which is dead, does nothing of the sort. And also, um, synthetic turf can get quite hot on a sunny day. It gets hotter than asphalt. You know, I mentioned my daughter saying kids get terrible scrapes and burns on this, which professional athletes have experienced as well. And I had read some things from a friend of mine who is in a group that's fighting the installation of a synthetic turf field in a public park in his community. And it's in a... Um, a neighborhood that doesn't have much in the way of green space and trees, and they are going to remove grass and real trees and put in this synthetic turf, you know, and it looks green. So they're saying, well, here will be your green space. But a synthetic turf is no more a real green space than if you took a bunch of asphalt and put green paint on it. And rather than helping to cool the neighborhood, it will make it hotter. And the other thing that happens with synthetic turf fields, not only are players on them at risk of burns, but the heat off this field can increase the student's risk of heat stroke and, and can also just be more tiring for them on a hot day. But you know, heat stroke is another real danger. And this is increased on synthetic turf fields. So unless there are more specific things to let people know about the concerns, can you just tell us a little about, you said, you know, forming this alumni group from Judith Eng's class, just a little about the people that are in that group. And I take it this is your first issue, but what might be some of your long-term goals or just tell us a little about who's involved and, and what you hope to do. Um, well, we're just a number of local concerned citizens who are all interested in this. And I think most of us were kind of shocked to find out things are worse than we'd imagined. And of course, one of the nationwide goals that Beyond Plastics has is, um, is getting rid of reusable, not reusable, getting rid of single use plastics. And fortunately, for us, New York State has, um, you know, banned giving out plastic bags at checkout counters. And, you know, there was all sorts of outcry before it happened, but it seems to be working just fine. And also another thing that Beyond Plastics is trying to get is a nationwide bottle deposit bill, because there are actually very few states that have a bottle deposit. And they want to have a national bottle deposit, which I wish we could get. Now, the next thing that our local organization will be taking on is to try to encourage local Meals on Wheels groups 
to switch from disposable trays and containers to their food for their food to reusable things. And, you know, this should be a pretty easy one because, you know, like there are some some organizations in some states that are running something where restaurants can give out um, reusable containers with their takeout food and then people pay a deposit and return it. It's very complicated. But with Meals on on Monday and drops off your food, somebody comes to bring you your food on Tuesday and can pick up your container from Monday, which may take quite a bit of doing because each Meals on Wheels program is an independent entity. But one of the advantages for them is in the long run, it saves money because while a reusable tray is more expensive, you use it for several hundred times. Whereas, you know, if you're doing the disposables, there are, you know, there are seven things that are disposed of every week. And there is the problem of raising the money for, you know, the initial expenditure. And in some cases, they also have to make some arrangements. And, you know, some Meals on Wheels programs are coming out of places that have the facility to wash the um you know, the, the, the containers or trays or whatever. But in some cases, they have to either buy a dishwasher or, you know, arrange to take the things somewhere else to be washed. But it just seems like a great way to reduce, again, plastic waste. And, you know, we've only got one planet. We've got to take good care of it. <laughs> That's so true. Well, I'd like if you could just tell us a little about yourself. Um, where did you grow up? I grew up in Queens. And just what was your family like? Were they um, activists or environmentally conscious? Or where was the seed planted? What was your family like growing up? Well, they, they were certainly politically aware. I don't, I don't think I'd say they were really activists. And of course, environmental consciousness is relatively new. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you know, certainly a lot of people in the next generation after me, you know, they've grown up with it all their lives. But I remember going to the first Earth Day, a, a teach-in in 1970, and it was very inspirational. And my husband and I both thought, yes, you know, <laughs> we, we should do these things. And of course, some of them, you know, it was like, recycling and now you know we realize that recycling only gets you so far although of course back then plastic soda bottles hadn't been invented they came along later in the 70s um well i know you were one of the first people in the region to do solar energy for your own house i mean that was new when you did it so you've kind of been on the the cutting edge or the pushing edge of these things. I'm just wondering where that that sort of uh, commitment comes from. You know, if, maybe you can't put a finger it's, on it. Maybe it doesn't. I, I think it's, no, it's something that makes sense to us. I mean, we're also um, avid composters, and um, we well, I mean, there aren't that many yet, but we've had a uh, an electric car for what, five years now, we, we already had a Prius, 
which we now jokingly refer to as the gas guzzler because it uses <laughs> gas and our plug-in electric Nissan Leaf uses no gas at all. Uh. And it's quiet and it's fun to drive. It's got great acceleration. Um, and, you know, at this point, I mean, most of the things we've done it, it hasn't felt like a sacrifice or a painful thing. I mean, the solar panels are great, you know. We don't have to do anything. And, um, you know, the electric car is a pleasure to drive. And I guess we enjoy the composting. I have never owned a clothes dryer. And I hung my clothes outside ever since we got our first house and had a laundry line. And and that's something I actually find pleasurable. And I love the smell of clean laundry that comes in off the line. And in the winter, I hang my clothes on uh, on racks inside the house and they dry. And and as my children have grown and moved into uh, into their own homes or even just apartments, moved out into the world, I've I've given each one of them a drying rack and they all use them. So that was the question I was going to ask before you brought it up. Have your children followed in your footsteps? Are they also environmentally conscious in their various oh, yes. lives around the country? Oh, yes. Very much so. And, and another thing is, you know, conscious eating. And I mean, as long as I'm talking up for the environment, that um, raising animals for meat, particularly beef, is pretty detrimental to the environment. And the less meat you eat, the better for the planet. And I won't say we eat no meat, but we don't eat much. And our typical dinner is meatless. Mm -hmm. and, and I mean, aside from how we like it or not, there's a lot of information coming out that it's better for your health, particularly to avoid beef. And... Um, yeah, so we don't eat a lot of that. Well, do you have any parting words or parting advice? Our time has just flown by, and I don't know if you have some thoughts that you want to leave our listeners with. Well, I think keeping kids healthy and uninjured is more important than how many games the football team wins because their high school sports is just a small part of their lifetime. And I want them to have their joints intact and not have a body burden of toxic substances. You know, I think one of the things you have to do in life is prioritize what is really important. And, you know, sometimes kids can think, oh, their sports team is the most important thing in the world. but. One of the things grown-ups are supposed to do is take care of the kids. And, you know, anybody who's ever raised a toddler knows you're dealing with somebody who's got a lot more agility than judgment. And I've seen things that have happened with high school kids that indicate a lot more agility than judgment. And one of my sons, when he was in high school, um, was a passenger in a car. <laughs> That was in a one-car accident caused by his friend, the driver, going too fast and flipped over. And the vehicle was totaled. And thank goodness, Bowie and his friend's parents had always had their kids wear seatbelts because 
they unhooked their seatbelts and got out with scrapes and bruises. Had they not had seatbelts, they would have been dead. Mm. Um, but, you know, you're dealing with these people whose judgment is not so that the kids say, oh, you know, we've, we've got to we got to have the field because we've got to win the football game. There are more important things in the world. And I know some people will be really mad at me for saying that. <laughs> but, yeah, I think we always try to think of the long term and the big picture. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for sharing your research as well as your philosophy. And um, we'll see what happens with the school vote. My only wish is that this had come to a head earlier because, as you pointed out yourself, having separated it, you know, having a separate vote on the synthetic field, um, because there's so many things that didn't get done in the bond issue that got defeated that are in the current bond issue that are just essential to the maintenance of the school. But it's certainly uh, good to be aware of all the environmental issues that um, some of us probably haven't thought of. So thank you for raising the awareness there. Well, thank you for having me. And (laughs) I certainly hope that a new bond issue without the synthetic turf field will show up in a timely manner. (laughs) 